0: Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey, and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. North and South, Chapter 15, Masters and Men. This chapter is a really significant chapter because there's a lot in this about the relationship between the masters of Milton and the working class hands, the men. Um, But before we get to that section, um, there is the beginning of the chapter is Margaret and her father visiting uh, Mrs. Thornton. What's interesting here is that they are obeying the sort of social etiquette to go back and call on someone who's previously called on them. Um, But it's interesting when they discover that the Thorntons home is right in the middle of where the factory is. So it's in a continual whirl and din um, and they can't get over the noise. It is a wealthy home, it's a well-built home and a well-furnished home but there's an effect of icy, snowy discomfort. And so where Margaret's used to furnishings, uh, giving ease and comfort, instead here, everything is cold and static. And this perhaps represents the fact that when Margaret's been in London with fashionable people or in Halston, she's been in environments where people crave comfort. And here in the, the industrial North, the priority of the Thorntons is not comfort, Um, their priority um, is is always to do with survival and money and success. Now um, unfortunately Margaret doesn't explain very well Mrs Hale's illness and so Mrs Thornton thinks that Mrs Hale has slighted her by not coming to call Um, and When Mr Thornton has has missed seeing Mr Hale, uh, Mrs Thornton can't resist giving a bit of a pointed comment. My son is rarely ill. When he is, he never speaks about it or makes it an excuse for not doing anything. Which seems a bit of a a pointed comment towards the fact that Mrs Hale hasn't come. Mrs Thornton tells Mr Hale and Margaret that it was against her judgement that her son renewed his study of the classics. She says... Classics may do very well for men who loiter away their lives in the country, but Milton men ought to have their thoughts and powers absorbed in the work of today. I mean, her comments come across as quite rude, given that Mr Hale is her son's tutor. And she speaks very highly of John's position in the Milton society, well, not just in Milton, but in the whole of Europe. She says that he has a high, honourable place. Of course, It is unknown in the fashionable circles, idle gentlemen and ladies are not likely to know much of a Milton manufacturer unless he gets into Parliament or marries a Lord's daughter. So she makes that distinction of, of course, the fashionable people wouldn't know him, but then to her, that's not worth knowing anyway, because they are idle And so what's interesting is that there's this constant clashing of the three worlds of the novel. Firstly, the world of um, Milton and the industry that's there. And then the Harley Street gentilities, which is the fashionable world of London that Margaret's been living amongst with Edith. And the world of country clergymen of Hampshire, um, where obviously Halston is based. And so there's this constant clashing of these different worlds in the novel and the different values that these worlds, people in these worlds hold. Margaret does admit that she's heard enough to make her respect and admire John. Um, but she does laugh out loud when Mrs Thornton makes a comment about um, her not accepting what Margaret said about complimenting John as making any plans on his son's heart. And Margaret laughs as if if this is utterly ludicrous, which also offends Mrs. Thornton. Mrs. Thornton tells them that there is a strike threatening, um, and Margaret immediately has an interest in this and asks what for. And so then this introduces the chief subject of the chapter, which is the incoming strike and the relationship of the masters with the men. Mrs. Thornton says they're a pack of ungrateful hounds um, and doesn't give any uh, credence to their demands. Um, it's, she says they want to be masters and make the masters into slaves on their own ground. Every five or six years there comes a struggle between masters and men. She does also refer to a time when there were a crowd of white, angry men swearing to have one of the owners' blood. And because he knew nothing of it, she had to go and tell him. And she ended up fainting. And this is going to parallel Margaret's actions later on in the novel um, as well. So, um, she, Mr Thornton then calls on the Hales and talks a little more about the strike with them. He explains that we don't explain our reasons, they won't believe we're acting reasonably. He feels they have good reasons not to raise the men's wages, but the men feel that the masters are being unreasonable. He asks them, do you give your servants reasons for your expenditure or your economy and the use of your own money? We, the owners of capital, have a right to choose what we will do with it. And then Margaret points out a human right. Thornton is embodying the capitalist values that are no different from the gentility of London. Anyone who has servants has a very clear sense of distinction, which Margaret herself has shown in the way she has taken umbrage at Dixon's comments about her father and her family. But Margaret gives a religious tone to her viewpoint by saying um, that people would neglect their duty as stewards if they wasted money. She also says, I see two classes dependent on each other in every possible way, yet each evidently regarding the interests of the other as opposed to their own. And this is the key um, viewpoint of the novel, that the masters and the men need each other and need to work together to make life better for everyone. Thornton's offended by the fact that Miss Hale, Margaret, has been listening to what Higgins has been telling her Um, and Mr Hale defends Margaret by saying there is an obvious antagonism there and then Thornton gives some of his own opinions. My interests are identical with those of my work people, he said. However, he says that Like children, they are happiest under a discreet, firm authority. I must necessarily be an autocrat. And he believes that the firm, honest governance of his workers is what is best for them. He also refuses to take much involvement in what his men do outside of work. He says, because they labour 10 hours a day for us, I do not see that we have any right to impose leading strings upon them for the rest of their time. I value my own independence so highly that I can fancy no degradation greater than that of having another man perpetually directing and advising and lecturing me. In some ways, it seems forward thinking that John doesn't want to dictate what the workers do out of hours. But um, Mr. Hale makes the point that there needs to be an equality of friendship there, which perhaps would lead to more harmonious relations. Thornton makes the point, have I any right to obtrude my views of the manner in which he shall act upon another, merely because he has labour to sell and I capital to buy? And Margaret's response is, because you are a man dealing with a set of men over whom you have, whether you reject the use of it or not, immense power, Just because your lives and your welfare are so constantly and intimately interwoven, God has made us so that we must be mutually dependent. And this really is the heart of the novel, the idea of the master having power over the workers has a moral duty to look after them. Um, And this this comes through in the, the central message and theme of the novel. Now, Thornton believes what the master is, that will the men be. And he believes that honesty is one of his central values that he wants them to imitate in him as well. But he does argue with Margaret, saying, you suppose our men are puppets of dough. You forget we have only to do with them for less than a third of their lives. We are the great pioneers of civilization." But Margaret does not... um, see the common ground between them. She says coldly, Cromwell is no hero of mine. I'm trying to reconcile your admiration of despotism with your respect for other men's independence of character. John Thornton's keen to make friends with her before he leaves the visit and he says, but you know I am but an uncouth Milton manufacturer, will you forgive me? And she does Uh, say certainly, but she still did not put out her hand to him. And again, he felt the omission. You can see John's growing interest in Margaret and the way that she piques his interest with the things that she says, but they're still diametrically opposed in their viewpoints. And he still feels that she is proud um, and refuses to view him as an equal. So we've got several conflicts in this chapter. Firstly, we've got the ongoing conflict between Margaret and Thornton as they spend more time together. They argue more about these foundational values about men and their workers and their rights and responsibilities. But this um, is paralleled by the much bigger uh, conflict that's going on in the background, the whole uh, division between the social classes of um, the masters and the men, the workers. And so the conflict that obviously turns into a romantic conflict between Margaret and Thornton um, actually just symbolises this greater conflict, this greater social problem um, between the different classes of, of men. And so there's a layers of conflict here in the novel which Gaskell is going to work to try to resolve and try to... Uh, suggest how they might be reconciled. Just as Margaret and Thornton will eventually be reconciled, Gaskell suggests that maybe masters and workers can find better ways to work together. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.